first behold your king slide. There we go. Some of y'all remember and some of you are engaging in now grades, test results, school stuff, right? Let me tell you what. This is this just cracks me up and it maybe it shouldn't, maybe I should be more compassionate. But in therapy, all the time, parents are bringing their kids in and they're saying they're not doing their schoolwork. And almost every stinking time, when the kid sits down and talks to me, whether the kid is 8 or 12 or 16, they're saying, I'm turning everything in. I'm turning everything in. And then their grades come out, and guess what? They're failing everything. Why are they failing everything? Because they're not turning anything in. And I'm like, dude, you told me you turned everything in. Well, well. You know what doesn't lie? The grades don't lie. And, and this is what I always get. Well, they didn't enter it into the, in the grading system. Oh, I'm like, you're the fourth kid today that's told me that. These teachers just me, but must be completely malicious and terrible because they must just take these papers that everybody turns in all the time and eat them or something because they're not entering them into the grading system. It's just, it's just crazy. I think we need to fire every teacher in Raleigh County and Fayette County and Summers County and Nicholas County because I'm getting them from everywhere. It's amazing, these mean teachers who are eating people's homework, obviously. But the grades... Don't lie. When grade cards come out and you're failing everything, you can tell me all you want that you turned it in. You can tell me all you want that you got a good grade on it, but your final grades tell what's really going on. Well, today, it's grade time. We reached the end of Matthew 25, which went a little bit quicker than Matthew 24, didn't it? Um... We reach the end of this, and this is Jesus' last public discourse. And here he's with, just with his disciples here at the end of 24 and 25. The last discourse he gives before he starts his march toward the cross. Probably on Wednesday evening of the last week of his life, Jesus gives this last lengthy discourse out in public before he withdraws and starts to focus on preparing his disciples and himself for the cross that's coming up just a couple days away. If you would, please stand. We're going to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and I'll do it in my best Keith Green voice. No, I won't do that. We do believe that these are the very words of God, which is why we stand and we honor and reverence Him as we read them. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and na- or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly... I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I don't know that there are more somber words in your word than this that we're partaking of today. I ask humbly and confidently that your spirit would give us understanding and would send us forth from this place to go out and be doers of this word. And God, if there is anyone here this morning in this building or listening to me and watching this service somewhere else, if there's anyone who doesn't know you as their king, as their judge, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them, draw them, give them life. Let them, to be, let them be born again, God, that you might be glorified in and through their lives. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Speak, O Lord, indeed. So we'll start here in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. So as we finish this chapter and this section of Scripture, this discourse of Jesus, this last major discourse in Matthew's Gospel, it's quite a crescendo that it ends with here, right? After spending chapters 24 and what we've seen of 25 so far, Jesus finishes answering His disciples' question about His return and the coming of the kingdom with this stunning majestic narrative of what will take place when he comes and sets up that kingdom on the earth. And he starts this particular answer by saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So note that. Jesus speaks of his return as when the Son of Man comes. And I know it probably seems redundant to some of you. We've seen multiple times in Matthew that Jesus' favorite name for himself is Son of Man. He refers to himself as Son of Man time and time and time again. I didn't count them or look it up in Matthew, but it's over and over and over again. And it may be second nature, I hope it is, to you guys who've been around for all of our Matthew stuff. Uh, Maybe a no-brainer, I hope it is. But, But again, this appellation not Appalachian, this naming as, as the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees this, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him, that Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And it seems like that what Jesus is describing here in Matthew 25 is exactly that. We're seeing Jesus tell us what that's going to look like when that happens. Daniel saw it. 
seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was around. And now Jesus is telling it before it happens. And he's saying, this is what this is going to look like. He, Jesus, is coming into his kingdom. And he has come in glory. And that means he's fully revealed for who he is. Uh, one of the Christmas, and I, my, my brain ain't going to get there in time. One of the Christmas songs we sing, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Okay, I know what it is now. But, but Jesus here in the flesh is kind of veiled. His glory is not fully revealed. He's revealing his glory. And John would say in the opening of his gospel, we saw that glory. We touched it in 1 John. We, we heard it. We saw it for ourselves. But here in Matthew 25, Jesus is describing when he will be fully revealed for who he is. With all his angels with them. And again, note that they're his angels. They're God's angels, and therefore they are the Son's angels. God the Son is God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons. We do believe in the biblical presentation of Trinitarian theology. With all his holy angels with him, and where is he sitting? Now, what has been Matthew's point this whole gospel? It's been to show that Jesus Christ is King. And here we see the Son of Man at the end of all things on His glorious throne. The Son of Man that Daniel saw has been given His everlasting dominion here. And He is seated on His throne. Fully revealed to everybody. No more veil, no more separation, no more lack of clarity. Here the King Jesus is revealed to be sitting on his throne, reigning, ruling, and we're about to see judging. And everyone will see him. Verse 32, which highlights that. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. Now see this. Here is King Jesus. And who is it that is gathered before him? All the nations. That word nations is ethnos, and it means in its ultimate form, the human race. All the human race, regardless of where they're from, what language they speak, what skin color they are, what race, ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us as human beings, is brought before who at the end of all things? We are brought before King Jesus. And this is judgment. When He comes, He comes as King and He comes as Judge. And here, all the nations are gathered before Him. And He will separate people one from another. Again, there's the judgment. He's going to make a judgment and He's going to say, You stand here, you stand here. And his judgment determines what? Separated one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, we don't really get this idea, I don't think, as a whole, since I don't think any of us have large flocks of sheep nor goats. Um, I've known a few people that have had a few sheep or a few goats, much less big flocks of both. And we think, well, that's you know, not real hard. Sheep or sheep, goats or goats, right? That's easy. 
One commentator says this, it's a Craig Bloomberg who said this, Palestinian shepherds frequently had to separate their flocks this way. Sheep and goats freely intermingled and often looked quite similar in appearance, at least from a distance. Now remember that, right? It looks similar. We just think, oh, sheep and goats, that's easy to tell apart. But here, these Palestinian shepherds knew, hey, you really couldn't tell them apart unless you brought them out and said, oh, goat this way, sheep this way. So that's just to say that shepherding work here is based not just on appearance because that can be a little bit tricky. And we saw that back in Matthew 13 in the parables with the wheat and the tares. The tares looked just like the wheat, right? And at that time... The landowner said, let both grow up together, and what happens at the end of the age? Then we'll separate them out, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. And like in Matthew 13, the separation here in Matthew 25 comes at the end of all things. And keep that in mind as you're dealing with church people. Who are the most hypocritical people in the world? Church people. Hogwash. It's all of us. We're all hypocritical. And we all look like hypocrites from time to time. And we're all right and wrong sometimes. And we're all sinners. And at the end of all things, the judge, the king, will separate us all out. Not based on our appearance, but based on who he knows us to be. And it comes at the end of all things, not during the pre-king times when he arrives. And as the judge and king, Jesus will do the separating. You are a sheep, you are a goat. So then what? Verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right. Sorry, guys. And the goats on his left. Wow, the goat side is heavier this morning. (laughs) He tells the sheep to stand on his right and the goats on his left. Now, the right hand of the king is the position of honor and blessing. So that's significant. So the sheep are being honored and the goats are not, as we'll see shortly. Why are the sheep being honored? Now, that's a little bit tricky. Okay, verses 34 to 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Okay, now there's a lot here. King slash judge Jesus says that the sheep, those on his right side, are to come and inherit the kingdom with him. It's his kingdom, remember. He's the king, his kingdom. So he's telling the sheep, those on his right, who he has separated out, sheep, come inherit the kingdom with me. But don't rush through this first statement too quickly. Look at what he says to these sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Hmm. And then this. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Blessed by my Father, kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Again, hmm. So before he gets into anything else, Jesus tells these sheep, these favored ones, that they are blessed by the Father and they are to inherit the kingdom that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. R.C. Sproul said in his message on this passage that the three most hated doctrines in Christianity are hell, predestination, and judgment. Well, what do you think we're seeing in this passage today? 
we're seeing all three of them. All three of them. We'll see hell in a few minutes as we get in here later. Jesus is passing judgment. Judgment has been given to Jesus, the king. And we clearly see that these sheep are blessed by God to inherit a kingdom that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. And that's important to note as we move forward here. Because if we're not careful, we miss that and we focus on the wrong things here. Because in verses 35 and 36, what does Jesus say? What does He focus on? For, He says in verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The pattern is I was blank and you blanked. Okay? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I needed and you gave or you provided or you did. And we'll get into the particulars of that when we look at the next three verses. But it would be a mistake, scripturally, hermeneutically, interpretively, and application-wise, it would be a mistake to look at this list of things that these sheep did and make that the reason that they were inheriting the kingdom. Even the Keith Green song that I mentioned on Wednesday night, and I hope you checked out if you hadn't seen it before, comes to the conclusion that the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. Right? And that's true almost. The other and the main difference besides what they did and didn't do is that they were blessed, the sheep were blessed by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to inherit a kingdom that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And that's a pretty big difference. It's a pretty significant difference. This relates back to what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount 20 chapters ago, many moons ago. The Sermon on the Mount, we said, was not a set of commands to keep, but a description of what citizens of the kingdom of heaven are like. The same can be said here of sheep and goats. Sheep are born sheep. And goats are born goats. And I guess it would be actually more accurate to say sheep are reborn sheep. And they're reborn to inherit the kingdom. And as kingdom citizens, they do what kingdom citizens do. They do Matthew 5. They do Matthew 6. They do Matthew 7. They feed hungry people. They give thirsty people drink. They clothe naked people. They visit sick and imprisoned people. Why? Because they're good people? Because they figured it out and they're better than other people? No. They do it because they've got a life in them that they didn't have before and that unsaved people don't have. And that's the very life of God Himself. That's the Holy Spirit of God living in them, empowering them to do what they should be doing. Keep that in mind. Who they are determines what they do. The root determines the fruit. Not vice versa. And for sure, where there's no fruit, there's no new life. We saw that in Matthew 13. Let me tell you what. The symmetry and the unity of the gospel of Matthew is mind-blowing. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. 
Because it all relates back to one another. It all ties together. And the Holy Spirit through Matthew did just, I mean, it's all the Bible, but we're in Matthew. That's why I'm blown away by Matthew right now. Because we saw in Matthew 13 and we saw in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if there's no fruit, there's no new life. And if there's no new life, that person's not born again. Therefore, that person is not saved. And if there is fruit, that's a sign that this person is indeed endowed with the Holy Spirit of God, which means they are born again. And that is imperative. Where the new life in the power of the Spirit resides, fruit is produced. And it's this fruit that we're seeing here in these sheep. And there's so much more here, but we've got to move on. Verses 37 to 39. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And these sheep have a legitimate question, right? Jesus said they did what they did. Feeding, clothing, visiting, helping. And that what they did, they did to him. But now wait a minute. We remember the king's going away. That's been the whole point of Matthew 24 and 25, right? The king's going away and he's coming back sometime. And this is when he comes back. So he's been gone while the sheep have been doing all these things, right? So they're like, when... when, when?" When did we do these things to you? Feeding, giving drink, welcoming clothing, and visiting you? What do you mean by that? And watch Jesus' answer to them in verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is amazingly good. The king answers the righteous sheep's question in the best possible way. They asked when they helped him. And he says, truly I say to you, which again surely sounds familiar for those of you that have been with us through Matthew because Jesus has said it time and time and time and time and time and time again. Jesus the king has said over and over in Matthew for emphasis, truly I say to you, to draw attention to what he's about to say. It's almost like he's saying, hey, are you paying attention? Truly I say to you. Amen is the word for truly. Amen, the I am says to you. As you did it to one of these, one of the least of these my brothers, he points to the sheep, you did it to me. Wow. Now get that. Jesus, the Son of Man, the King, the Judge, says that whenever any of these righteous ones did what they did as obedient sheep in the power of the Spirit to the least of these His brothers, they actually did it to and for Him. Now look around. Look around in this building this morning. Who do you see? Same old people. Same old hypocrites. Same old sinners. I know y'all. And Jesus says, you're looking at me. (laughs) It gives me them Baptocostal bumps, y'all. If you 
did it to one of these, the least of my brothers. You did it to me. Whenever these righteous ones did what they did as obedient sheep to the least of these as brothers, they actually did it to him. And we know that Paul will later in the New Testament develop the truth and principle of the church as the body of Christ. But Jesus starts that thought here. Jesus is saying that if someone fed, clothed, or visited any of his disciples, his brothers, and again, we talked about that Wednesday night, God being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means Jesus is the Son of God, and we've been adopted into the family, and we share the same standing as Jesus in the kingdom of God. And Jesus just blows that up here to monstrous proportions and says, if you do it to one of these, you're doing it to me. Because we share the same life. These are my people. This is my body. Makes this a little bit more important than just something we got to pencil in on Sunday morning. Makes these people much more precious than we understand. And not just these people. This is not the parable of Providence Bible Church. It's all the nations. God's people are as if we are doing it unto Christ himself. And he says, if you did any of this to any of these, the least of these, his brothers, that it is the same as if they did it to Jesus himself. Believers, followers of Jesus are literally representing Jesus Christ in the world. Not as a stand-in, not as a placeholder, but as Jesus' presence in tangible form. So tangible, in fact, that as they did their deeds and bore their fruit, it was unto Jesus himself that they were doing it. We said on Wednesday that since God is seen and called the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then that makes the the Father, our Father as well, since we're adopted members of God's family, with Christ as the Son of God and seen here as the Son of Man, and He is our brother. And so, anything done to one of His brothers is a shared experience with Christ Himself. That might be a good thing to remember. Unfortunately, though, there's not just good news. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the king, Jesus, turns his attention away from the sheep on his right hand and onto the goats on his left hand. And note, how many groupings are there here? Two. No middle ground. No pretty good people. A little bit worse people. Hitler. That's our, that's our go-to, right? Well, I'm not like Hitler or anything. Two groupings. No purgatory. No second chances. Sheep, goats. Blessing, curse. Two. There are saved and unsaved people in the world, and that's it. They're not people who are on their way. 
They're not people who are trying hard to do the right thing and maybe they'll squeeze in. It's not going to happen. Two groups of people. And the sheep were welcomed into the kingdom, prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Now here, the king says to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, a lot to process there. First, he leads with a command to leave his presence. Depart from me. Get away from me, the Lord of glory says. This is not a game. There's no room for negotiation here. There's no excuses that are valid here. This is literally a matter of eternal life or death. And for these cursed goats, it's death. Death away from the presence of the benevolent king of kings. He tells them to depart. And again, we're talking about the king sitting in judgment here. Final, eternal judgment. And his first command for these goats is for them to leave his kingdom. Get out of my presence. Get out of my sight. Depart from me. And where are they commanded to go? Into the eternal fire. And the word for eternal here is the same word used later to describe the life of the sheep. Eternal life they enter into. Here this fire is eternal. Life is eternal for both of them, the sheep and the goats. And here the goats are sent into eternal fire, fire that burns forever. Hell is a place where those in it are suffering in fire forever. Can there be a more serious, solemn thing to consider? These people, shown like goats are sent into eternal fire to be forever punished for their rebellion against their rightful king. And that fire, Jesus says here, was prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan, the original rebel to God's will and would-be usurper of God's throne, I will make myself like the Most High, he said. Satan was marked out for eternal judgment and punishment and his eternal dwelling place will be shared with those whose lives mimicked his as they walked in His ways, as they were, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.26, held captive by Him to do His will. That's how sinners are painted in 2 Timothy 2.26. See, here's the deal. We hear all this stuff about me, and let me be me, and I just want to be me, and I want to be the best me I can be. And when we think in those thoughts, and when we act that way, what we are doing is we're saying we're our own boss. I'm my own master. Which is satanic in its root. And as these goats sought their own good and their own pleasure, their eternal fate was sealed and their eternal abode was prepared as sure as the devil's was and all of his angels. And that's demons. Demons are angels. They're messengers of Satan. Angels that fell with Satan when he was cast out from heaven. They were following him. They were worshiping him instead of God. And God prepared a place of eternal fire for them to suffer for forever. And here these goats are sent into that fire. Why? Because those goats do His bidding. They're held captive by Him to do His will. And since they do His bidding, they will share His fate. As will the demons. As will all those who are rebellious against the will of the king. And the king, listen to me, is justly condemning them. Why? Verses 42 and 43. 
Four, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick in a prison and you did not visit me. Now this is the same structure, exactly the same, outside of a couple of negative additions, as what the sheep did. But the goats didn't do. For Jesus says, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick in a prison, you did not visit me. They didn't do what the sheep had done. And their deeds showed them to be who they are. Their fruit was a product of their root as well. And they are all of us left to ourselves and in our natural state. The scripture is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners all. And unless there is a miracle wrought in our lives and we are reborn by the power of God Himself through the Holy Spirit, unless that happens, we are going to be and remain turned in on ourselves. Self-focused, self-serving, and self-destructive. And these goats show that they fit that description by their not being a blessing to Christ in His time of need. Not that they recognized it as Christ, which was a lot like the sheep. The sheep didn't recognize it either. But look at verses 44 and 45. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. I guess if I'm honest, I I can't really blame these goats for asking when they saw Jesus hungry or thirsty or a stranger naked or sick or in prison because their reaction is the same as the sheep. And Jesus was not in his glorified state when they neglected and rejected him. And they missed him, right? Can't really blame them for that. But look at what they called Jesus, the king, back in verse 44. They say, Lord, when? Now note that. Here, in condemning judgment, even the goats recognize Jesus as Lord. They're not saying He's wrong. They're just asking, hey, Lord, Master, Sir. They're confessing Him as Lord here, which is exactly what... Philippians 2, there's a, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is a hymn that they would sing in the ancient church. And in that it says, One day every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And that's exactly what's happening here. That's not something that might happen if things shake out just right. Or if things happen to work according to some happy surprises. No, it's set in stone. No negotiations. And we see the world, every individual, sheep and goat, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord here. Here in this closing grand section of Scripture. 
Even the goats call him Lord. As they hear his condemnation, even as they seek clarity, they call him Lord. And their question of when they neglected him is answered the same way that the sheep's question about faithful service was answered. Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, meaning my people, my brothers, you did not do it to me. As the goats failed to help the people of God, now note that. As the goats persecuted the people of God, as the goats ignored the needs of the people and the kingdom of God, they were doing so to Jesus himself. Because as we saw before, if someone is a brother or sister of Christ, what is done or not done to them is done or not done to Jesus himself. Now think about that. You ever mistreated somebody and didn't know whose kid they were? When I was in junior high, we used to sit and wait on the elementary school kids to come out of school. Of course, I was about this big, so. But we used to pick on them, and there were many of us. That was the big deal, okay? I wouldn't have done it by myself. But we would find the kids, and we started messing with a few of them in particular, and I started kind of pushing one around as a mean kid. His dad was a cop. Scared the G. Willikers out of me. Because when, when he said, I'm going to tell my dad, I don't care if you tell your dad, boy. He, he told me who he was. I'm like, oh, shoot. I didn't mess with him anymore. The children of the king call for service. The children of the king call for blessing. The children of the king call for recognizing that what you do or don't do to them is being done or not done to the king himself, to Jesus himself. I think about uh, Paul's interaction when he was Saul on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, says Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you messing with my people? No. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul's threats and murder were against the disciples of the Lord. And Jesus tells him that it is him, Jesus, whom Saul is persecuting. They are one and the same, the Lord and his church. And these goats, back in Matthew 25, are finding, out that, finding that out later than Saul did, unfortunately, and will reap the eternal consequences of that too lately found out information. You did not do it to me. And so they are shown to be who they really are, and their punishment is declared in our last verse of the day and of this chapter, verse 46. And what a sentence. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment. Now we saw earlier that the fire was eternal. And here it's clear that that fire is a punishing fire that makes the punishment eternal as well. No annihilation. No burn and done. Listen, somberly, seriously, it's eternal fire for eternal 
punishment. And I said earlier that Sproul mentioned the teachings of hell as one of the three most hated in Christian doctrine, and I'd say it's the most hated. People stumble over the doctrine of hell all the time. God can't be loving if he's going to eternally punish those whom he sends to hell. And our scripture today is clear. That the king is going to eternally punish the goats. Hated or not, hell is real. And those who are not born again, saved by the blood of Jesus, bearing fruit by the power of His Holy Spirit, will suffer eternally in hell. And we should get a lump in our throat and tears in our eyes every time we think about that or say it. That word punishment means penalty and torment. Lawbreakers have to pay the price of their penalty and that payment is eternal torment. But God, love, fairness, justice, to which the Bible clearly says yes. And those things are all true. Eternal hell is what we all deserve as covenant breakers, as rebels against our holy creator. Sin is cosmic treason against the one good being in the universe. Eternal punishment, everlasting torment is the only possible justice in the order of things. God is love and God does justly and that is fair. And since He is merciful and forgiving and gracious, there are those who will go away not into eternal punishment but into eternal life. There's something in our fallen state, all of us, that makes us think that everybody deserves eternal life when the truth is not a single one of us deserves eternal life. No one. And Scripture is clear there. And still, there are those who will pass through this judgment and enter into eternal life. God will welcome some into His eternal dwellings to be with Him and partake and enjoy His kingdom as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because it says they're righteous. And oh, that word. You want to know what righteous means? Listen to this. That word means innocent, faultless. And guiltless. It means approved of or acceptable to God. Now what made these sheep innocent and faultless and guiltless and approved of and acceptable to God? Giving somebody food? Drink? Clothing? Visiting them? No. I'll tell you what made these sheep innocent and faultless and guiltless and approved of and acceptable to God. The life of perfect obedience, the death of perfect submission, the resurrection of perfect power, the ascension of perfect completeness and the glorification of perfect joy of the perfect, matchless, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. Only His life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension and glorification could possibly make these rebels into obedient Sheep, they are counted righteous because they are in Christ. 
They are counted righteous because they have been made one with Him to share in the joy of His kingdom forever. They are His bride made ready and perfect by His grace and love. And while we may surely ask why a loving God would send anyone to hell, the much more appropriate question is why in this God-forsaken, fallen, sinful world would a holy God invite and let anyone into heaven? That is much less plausible or explainable than why sinful men would be justly punished. I saw a post on Twitter the other day where a woman said to Charles Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God would say that he hated Esau. To which Spurgeon replied, That's not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. To which I say, indeed. Yeah, the righteous will indeed enter into eternal life. But not because of food or drink or a place to stay or clothes or visits. No, but because of the king who laid down his life so he could judge them righteous because of who he is and because of what he has done. And there we are, the end of Matthew 25. Lots to apply here for sure. We'll keep it at three though. 3G, back in the 3G days. Going gavel and grace. Going gavel and grace. Our first application point is going. And this is important. You're like, I hope everything you've said is kind of important. As you look at what the sheep are commended for and the goats are condemned for, it literally is about how they conducted their lives, which is their going. Now be careful here. How many times have you heard that Jesus commands us to go? Keith Green has a song called that, Jesus Commands Us to Go. And you know what? It's not true. It's not biblical. Jesus commands us to make disciples in that passage, Matthew 28. One command in the Great Commission, and that's to turn men into disciples. He does say, go, therefore, to all the nations and make disciples. But the command is not to go, because here's the deal. We're all going. The going is just your day-to-day life. As you are going, is the literal interpretation of the go there in Matthew 28. As you're going, turn men into disciples. Why am I saying that? Because I've seen conferences and sermons and Sunday school curricula that have been built around what is called the command to go. But we're not commanded to go. We are going. Our everyday lives are our going. Even the sluggard that Proverbs talks about, pivoting on his bed like a hinge, is going. And like the sluggard, like the sheep, like the goats, our going is marked by our deeds or our lack of them. In our passage today, the sheep's going was marked by kindness, serving, blessing others, which was ultimately blessing, serving, and kindness to Christ Himself. The goat's going was marked by not doing those things. Now let me ask you this. What is your going, your everyday life, your day-to-day, 
the mundane. What is it marked by? Sheep kind of stuff or goat kind of stuff? Now be careful. What we saw today as far as feeding and giving drink and clothing and visiting and those, this is not a checklist of things to do. It is a descriptor of what we are to be as we are going. And we're all going. What is your going characterized by? Jesus has spent the entirety of these last two chapters, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, giving details about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, the signs of His coming and the end of the age, and then calling on His people to be mindful, watchful, and ready for all of these things that are coming up, including His return. Now let me ask you this. Is your going marked by mindfulness, watchfulness, and readiness? And we've said over the last couple of messages specifically, we've looked at passages in Ephesians, Colossians, that Christian going looks like simple and clear things. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents as to the Lord. Employees, work hard to please your employer. Serve one another. Bless one another. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And everything you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be going as we're waiting for Christ to come back as His people. Is that what your life is marked by? Because if it's not... Guess what? You're a goat. You're like, what do you mean by that? I mean, if you're not concerned with the coming of Christ, if you're not concerned with giving and serving and blessing, especially His people, now we should bless everybody. We should serve everybody. I'm not saying we should just serve the church. But if your life is not marked by an affinity toward doing good to those who are in Christ... You're not saved. People say, well, I can, I can love Jesus and not be a part of the church. No, you can't. It is impossible. When you stand before Him on that day and you say, me and Jesus, we had a good thing going, right Jesus? Me and Jesus, we had it all worked out. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Depart from me, I never knew you. Because when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. The interlocked nature of the body of Christ, the interlocked nature of the people of God, make it impossible for you to serve Christ outside of His church. And if your life is marked by not being a part of the people of God, you are not saved. I didn't say it. Well, I did say it. And I think if I could pick one biblical admonition to share here, to encourage you to be doing as you're going, it's Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of the faith. If you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. This is what our going is to look like. And if you don't give a rip about these people sitting in this building this morning, 
Nothing else needs to be said, I don't think, there. What is your going marked by? Second application point. Gavel. Listen to me. Jesus is coming back as the judge of all the nations. You're like, we've said this like two or three weeks in a row. Well, we're saying it again. Jesus Christ is the king of every individual and all the nations. And in his kingship, Jesus Christ will judge every person. Now listen, based on what he or she has done. And I can hear you, the tires just screeched in your head. But you said it wasn't about food or drink or a place to stay or clothes or visits. To which I say no. I said that no one's salvation is based on these things. But listen to me. Our judgment by the judge will be based on those things. We will be punished or rewarded based on our deeds. The gavel will swing and say sheep or goat. And it will say sheep you did a lot of good things. Oh sorry. Sheep, you did a lot of good things. Goats, you didn't. And Jesus is going to make that determination. John 5, and 23. For the Father judges no one, Jesus says, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Jesus is the judge. The sheep and the goats were judged for what they did or didn't do. It was their actions that showed the true state of their hearts. And they are us. We will all be judged according to what we have done. Remember last week the poem at the end of the message, Only what is done for Christ will last? Revelation 20, 11 through 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Man, that used to scare the snot out of me. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had felt. We have elevated emotions as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our culture. No. They're judged according to what they had done. Listen to me. Sinners will be judged for the sins that they committed. The righteous, the sheep, will be judged and rewarded according to the Spirit-empowered good deeds that they did. And praise God, there's no sins left to bring up because the judge took care of them. We will all be judged according to our deeds. And Jesus is the one who will determine what was good and what was not. And the unsaved will be punished for their deeds and the saved will be rewarded for their deeds. Going gavel finally, grace. (laughs) Yes, our going matters. And yes, the gavel will swing as the judge commends the good and condemns the bad. That's all true. But! All of what we as followers of Jesus receive in eternity is a result, pure and simple, of grace. Amazing grace, we sing. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Why? 
why, why do I have life if I was dead? Why do I see if I was blind? Because of grace. Unmerited favor. Nothing you did to accomplish. Nothing you did to receive it. Freely given by God himself. J.I. Packer said, This one word, grace, contains within itself the whole of New Testament theology. It is all grace. The breath that you breathe now, the blood that pumps through your chest and your body is because of grace. And if you enter into eternal life, it is all because of grace. Not food and drink, clothes or visits. It's all because of grace. I just want to finish. I just want to read this. We'll be done. But the free gift, Paul says in Romans 5, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Romans is so good. For if by... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Oh, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord i got nothing to say there. Let's pray. Father, the only reason we can even approach you to speak to you is because of grace. And God, we do want to point at the sheep and say, look at what they did. Look at what they did. No wonder you were pleased with them. And God, the only reason you were pleased with them is because they were reborn as sheep by the grace that you freely us poured out onto them and out through them after they were born again. Father, we recognize that Jesus' last words of admonition to His disciples before He prepared for the cross was that the judge is coming and He's going to judge according to what people have done and what people have done, if it is good at all, is because of grace. These people were blessed by the Father to receive a kingdom that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. So Father, as we are going and as we await the swing of the gavel, help us to celebrate your grace because it's all we got. And may we share that grace with others as we preach the gospel, as we plead with men and women to be reconciled to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be passionate, passionate about celebrating that grace, rehearsing the grace and the providence of God in our lives and all that we do. Help us, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction?
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you want to hang out and talk, it's warmed up out there. We'll love you better out there.